Hi, I'm Eliana Yolcut. And I'm Tova Leibovic Douglas. We are two rabbis and two mothers here to talk finding wisdom in work, parenthood, smashing the patriarchy, and the juggle of the everyday. The Torah we carry in our pockets at home and in the world. Welcome to Not Your Jewish Mother. Welcome, welcome, listeners. Welcome back to Not Your Jewish Mother. I'm Tova in Los Angeles, here with Eliana, who's in Washington, D.C. Hello, hello. And we are, of course, thrilled to be back for another episode as we near the end of season two. Can't believe that we've done almost two seasons, Eliana. Pretty amazing, huh? Crazy. We only have one more episode after this, right? For this season? Yep. One more episode. It's going to be a juicy one. So stay tuned, people. Yep. But today's going to be great, too. I'm excited about today's topic. I think it's one that I need to talk more about or think about or lean into. I think we all do. So I'm really excited. But before we sort of get into it, This kind of goes in with the topic, but Eliana, I wanted to ask you, what is your ideal Shabbat? You know, we have that Shabbos thing, that seventh day of rest in our calendar. What is your ideal day of rest or Shabbat with you and your people? What does it look like? And does it does it ever get accomplished? Mm. The latter question is easy. Definitely not. Not (laughs) not in this not in this stage of my life, just because it's not It's just not reality. If I could choose, it would be some combination of both having guests and being an invited guest for a meal. Mm -hmm. In other words, like I would like to be invited out Friday night and have company Shabbat lunch or vice versa. I really love Shabbat morning services. I know everyone else is like a big fan of Friday night services, but I actually like to stay home on Friday nights. So I really love Shabbat morning services. And so I would like to attend that. I would like to get a not, I don't really nap because it makes me cranky, but like a rest in the afternoon, which includes reading and like being able to be outside, which means for me, like no temperature above 80 degrees. Mm. And I really like being around people. So I on Shabbat. So like I I need much more alone time during the week when I'm like working and whatnot. So I, on Shabbat, I really like having company, going places and seeing friends and all that kind of stuff and really good food. I'm obsessed Mm -hmm. with food on Shabbat. Like I Mm -hmm. like to have a full refrigerator of all sorts of both meal food and snack food. I like to have a cocktail on Friday night. That's like a big part of my ritual. And I'm sure I would feel differently at a different stage, but I get a lot of time with my children. So I would love to be with my children at meals, but I don't need to spend the whole day with them. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I get that. Cool. But it doesn't happen. No, it does not. not. Not like that. Like I get, you know what I get? I get small bits of that. Uh Uh-huh. Uh I got like small little moments of pleasantness and relaxation and rejuvenation. There's a wonderful congregant friend of ours in our community who has made it their custom to invite the clergy of Addis Israel over to their pool on Shabbat afternoons. That's nice of them. In the summer. Yeah, their pool is actually already open. And that can be a really wonderful couple of hours because my kids are ensconced in the pool and they're friends. And that's like really, they're just so happy. And the adults sit around and schmooze and eat and drink. And that's also really nice. So that that's something that like I have right now that I feel really grateful for. That's like a part of that overall vision of what it could be. Cool. If I visit DC, I could come to that pool hang. Yes, you could. Uh, well, invite, you have to, you have to get a special myself. invite. You have to get a special invite. Okay. 
Well, maybe I have a, maybe I have like a little key in. With you, you have a couple, you have a couple connections. Okay, cool. Yeah. How about you? Do you have a perfect Shabbat, like a joyful Shabbat? Perfect, joyful. You know, I want to want Shabbat to look a certain way, but then I also have my actual, what I really want. So that is kind of two answers. The want to want is I want to be someone that wants a lot of what you mentioned, which is some version of gathering with folks around a beautiful Shabbat meal. It doesn't exactly matter which one. Some version of synagogue experience, some version of rest, reading, sleeping, some version of, yeah, being. But in reality, what I really want these days, nothing. <laughs> like, like if I'm being really truly honest, it's not that I don't want to see people because I do, I do. But like, what I feel my body needs on Shabbat is really just real rest, just stillness. What is moving me? Is it going and seeing a friend or gathering, or is it not in the moment as opposed to a planned experience? It's like spontaneity is what you're talking about, kind of. Spontaneity, but I think the spontaneity would really lie with me in my bed. (laughs) So that's just like what I really kind of want, which is funny because that's not what I really want, you know? Anyway, I'm going to tell a story if that's cool. It kind of connects to the whole thing. Yeah, 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 definitely. Okay, so we have been on the go, I would say, you know, We've talked a lot about sort of the different stages of our lives in this pandemic and how there's been stages of that great pause. And then there's been the sort of reentry period. And then we were sort of mindful of different things, COVID related. And then, you know, at some point things return to I don't know what normal is, but certainly more normal than it has been. Right. At some point that happened for us. And it has been a lot of go, go, go in, in a lot of great ways. Right. A lot of like really fun great things. But also our stamina, my stamina, the children's stamina totally is not the same as it once was. So we were planning on going, this kind of connects to Shabbat, actually. We were planning on going last Shabbat to our synagogue, Shabbaton. Shabbaton being, you know, a gathering of synagogue members at a camp. And I was so excited for the Shabbaton for a lot of reasons. I think the reasons I just shared, I wanted to have that Shabbat experience because I want to want it. You know what I mean? Where you're gathered with people and I love being in nature. My kids love it. Who doesn't love being in nature with a bunch of people you like and your kids play with those other kids? You know, the whole thing. And of course, Eliana, because our luck or just the way the world works, law of nature I got really sick the day before we were supposed to go. So we didn't go. And what was really interesting is what was unearthed in the not going was we literally had a whole weekend of nothingness because I was sick and we had planned the Shabbaton. So we didn't have anything on the calendar, right? So it was just blank. Our synagogue was not open because they were all at the Shabbaton. We didn't have anything for that Shabbat. It was just nothing, like nothing, nothing, which we haven't had in a long time because Even our days of nothing have something usually, you know, even if it's a day of nothing, it might be a friend that's planning on stopping by or, you know, just a one thing. But no, this was a day of nothing. And what was really beautiful and magical to sort of witness, even though I wasn't feeling 100 percent, is how much each person in my family totally needed that day of nothing in the most intense way that I could witness because I was a little sick. So I was in and out of the whole thing of the family structure. You know how that goes. You're in and out. And I was able to sort of see, oh, my children needed a day to do 
absolutely nothing. To just have the rhythm of Shabbat, the rhythm of the day, just sort of carry, carry us. And everyone reflected in the family about how great it was. And so I guess I have, this is like more of a story and a process that might lead us into our conversation today, but it left me feeling really whole to have that day and left me also wondering how is it possible to have more of those days? Is it possible to have more of those days? And so that is my story. I have a lot to say on that, but I'm not going to because it's your story. I'm just going to leave it, but leave it in the sense that leave that piece of it and use it, as you said, as like a jumping off point, because I think it's interesting to think about like, what does rest and rejuvenation look like for this modern world that we live in, which is our topic for today. Can you guys get that by now? Yes. (laughs) Rest. Rest. Uh, Sacred rest. So we obviously are entering a period of time in the like sort of world of particularly of child rearing, but also in the general world, like things tend to slow down on some level in most sort of I guess, work worlds. Uh, We enter the summer, schools are out, kids are often in camp or other programs. And we start to think about vacations for some of us who are lucky enough to be able to do that and time off. And we, we wanted to talk today about the notion of sacred rest, particularly as it relates to both Judaism and its sort of perspective on this. And also what does it mean to think about rest seriously, to take it seriously as a value in a world that values production and work very deeply. And Judaism has kind of built this operating system and within the operating system, both like daily, weekly, and globally, we have these periods of rest. And it also happens to be that we're in that period right now in the Shemitah year or the year of the fallow, the fallow year, which we're both probably going to touch on and we'll explain more as we get into it, which is that in every seventh year, the tradition tells us that we're supposed to let the land lay fallow and not work it. And we can eat the produce that we produce in the sixth year, but you're not supposed to be producing the land. You're not supposed to be making the land produce during this during this time period. And this kind of connects back to the notion of the Shabbat, the notion of Shabbat in general in Judaism, which is that we are supposed to each week recreate the divine holy one's rest that mm-hmm. was taken during the mythical story of creation in the book of Genesis, that there was a creating, creating, creating for six days. And then on the seventh day, there was rest. And we're told there that the consequence of that rest is re-souling. Like we get our soul again. We connect to the like essential self maybe is a, is a good word for it. And so we wondered, what does this idea look like in the modern world that is obsessed, particularly in these weird countries, Western, educated, democratic countries, which are very, very focused on being busy, doing a lot, producing a lot, making a lot, constantly being in motion. And there was this beautiful article, which we'll link to in the show notes in the New York Times earlier this year in January by Rabbi Elliot Kukla, who I actually knew during his rabbinical school time because we were in rabbinical school at the same time in LA. And he wrote beautifully about the title is Teach children to be lazy, but it's really about what it means to be a parent teaching your children about caring for sacred periods of rest and rejuvenation and letting your, your body and your brain be fallow and giving it what it needs in terms of refilling your tank. Mm -hmm. And I, there was a lot of beautiful quotes in there, but that's, I want to start off with that. And I want you, Tova, to share with us sort of what your thoughts are about this notion of sacred rest. Yeah, it's a great intro. I mean, like I really, really believe in this notion 
of sacred rest. And as I alluded to, I, I feel like it's not just that I believe in it, it's that I crave it in a way that maybe I always did crave. But I think maybe one of the lessons of the pandemic is that it's like a need, right? It's not actually a desire. It's for me, if I don't have time to restore myself, to nourish myself and nurture myself, how on earth can I do the things I need to do in the world to be productive, right? So it sort of goes hand in hand, I think, for me. And I know that's sort of backwards, right? The whole notion is actually just to treat rest as the important aspect, not to have rest in order to produce, right? But it's not even production, actually to function, I would say. You know, I've been struggling with identifying, am I an introvert? Am I, am I an extrovert? I'm, am I an ambivert in between? I'm I'm probably an ambivert. I love a lot of people. And also, I really need my time alone to recover. So I don't know. I think what I know is I feel like it's so necessary. And I feel like we don't have systems, as you alluded to, and as we all know, within our countries that provide space for it. I know that in the Jewish communal space, there's a lot of talk on sabbatical programs. My friend Josh Feldman is starting this thing called sabbatical program, which is for folks that are leaders of Jewish nonprofits, it's sort of, it's like a cohort model to try to like institute some form of sabbatical in one's institution. And I personally know many rabbis that are taking sabbaticals this year after the pandemic, you know, the like intensity of the pandemic. And it makes a lot of sense to me, except the thing that I'll challenge on it, and I think I'm kind of being hypocritical right now in my process out loud, which is fine. That happens sometimes. And as one of my teachers say, it's okay to be consistently inconsistent. I don't know. It kind of like <laughs> works for me or whatever. But anyway, what I'll say is just I find it a little bit ironic. And this is why Rabbi Kukla's New York Times piece spoke to me in a particular way, both in a good way and in a, in a challenging way, is that the sabbatical seems to be not Josh Feldman's nonprofit thing, but the rabbis that are taking sabbaticals, they'll write, I'm writing a book on my sabbatical or something like that, right? Like, this is what I'm doing on my sabbatical, which I appreciate. It makes sense. That's what you're going to do. But is that not actually taking away from what radical sacred rest is, which to me is what I alluded to earlier in the story is just the act of beingness, you know, stillness, seeing what is unearthed in that. I mean, I had this response when you told your story, which is that my experience of rest, I don't know if this is a flaw. In other words, like if it's something that I struggle with and so I, like I need to work on it or if it's just part of me. I also need a lot of alone time. I am, a, I call myself a social introvert. So in other words, like social situations don't make me uncomfortable, but given the choice, I would be alone. Resting to me is not, like you said, being in my bed. That, that would be like what I would want if I could want what I really want, like being in my bed. And I was for, like a little bit being hyperbolic on that. But yes, yes, like that's an extreme. And for me, like that feels like a nightmare. Ah, like mm -hmm. the notion of staying in my bed or even in my house all day does not feel like it would rejuvenate me in any way or oh, resole me. Interesting. I don't find that restful. I find it anxiety producing. And I'm honoring that that might be because I have a problem and I don't know how to rest. But for me, like a restful day or a day that would include me feeling a sense of breath. I think there was something in Rabbi Kukla's piece 
about, or was it Judith Shulevitz's book on the Sabbath world? I don't remember, but there was a notion of breath, like the, the capacity to breathe in a different way. And I think for me, like that would come, for example, on a walk with a friend in a, in a be- natural, beautiful surrounding. That's how I feel rested. Even though I'm walking and expending energy, I don't get that from like sitting in my on my couch or in my bed. It's not that I don't like to sit still. Like I read a lot, so I do sit still a lot and I study text a lot, so I do sit still for that. But like the notion of staying home for, like you talked about your Shabbat and like how that really fed each, like if we did that, like if in our family, except for my wife who would love it to stay home and like tinker in her garden and just do nothing and play game. Like my kids and I, we don't, that doesn't feed us again, like sitting by the pool and having a cocktail or a glass of lemonade or like an art, you know, an Arnold Palmer lemonade iced tea, like a really good drink and sitting quietly by myself or with some friends like that feels lovely, but like, I wouldn't want to do that all day at home. But I really do think a lot about his piece because he talks about it in the role of parent. And I think a lot about that. Like I talk a lot about Shabbat, but is Shabbat really restful for them? Is there really a pulling back from the notion of doing and producing and obviously in a kid level? And so I like wonder what that Mm -hmm. would feel like, like what would be, what would need to change for me to parent in a way that both modeled how I could do it and how they could do it, like how to, how to breathe differently. Well, well, did the pandemic change anything for you because you didn't have Shabbat in the church because that's what changed for us I would say before the pandemic I'm not so sure being home in this kind of way would have felt so restful you know I mean it would have in some ways but not in the way that it feels right now did the pandemic shift a little bit for you I hated Shabbat in the pandemic like when it was full force and we couldn't go anywhere or do anything Uh uh-huh I found it totally dysregulating and I found those days to be the longest days that we had. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you that it was way long and it got really monotonous after a while, too. I craved the meals or the hanging or the, you know, any of the things that you shared that bring you joy. Yeah. But I guess we're different in this way. You know, I'm thinking a little bit about Abraham Joshua Heschel's, uh, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel's uh, The Sabbath, that that book, you know, that he wrote, that famous book. And I remember reading, I think it was the forward by his daughter, Susanna Heschel, yeah. who talked about their Shabbat. I remember reading this in college and I remember, I, I could be wrong, you know how like your memory sometimes recreates itself. So don't hold me to it, listeners. But this is my memory of the forward. Something to the effect that she she shared about her father's Sabbath, his practice, his Shabbat which I remember at the time thinking, how sad. Why is he having such a sad, lonely Shabbat with just just their family for a meal, just him going to his shul, just them reading and being quiet? Isn't that not Shabbat? Like, I remember consciously being, that wasn't my Shabbat growing up or my Shabbat that I was creating for myself in the moment in college. I had Shabbat meal on Friday night, Shabbat meal on Shabbat day, lots of people hanging out in the park. That was Shabbat to me. And then a little bit of rest in there, you know, this is pre-kids. And now I think of that Shabbat. I often think about that Shabbat because I think of the Sabbath as this great, amazing book that sort of replicates what it feels like to have a true Shabbat, a true, meaningful, restful yeah. day. Right. I feel that when I'm reading it. And I think about that forward and I'm like, 
oh, yeah, no, I get it. That is Shabbat. You know, that is totally Shabbat. And I think that's kind of wild, right? That my 21-year-old self that read that the first time and now my 36-year-old self totally sees that forward in a completely different way, totally sees rest, Mm -hmm. the Sabbath in a completely Mm -hmm. different way. And I wonder about that. Yeah, I think that's like when he talks in the article, Rabbi Kukla talks about, he writes, before my child was born, I was afraid that my fatigue would make it impossible for me to be a good parent. He suffers from a chronic illness that makes him very, very fatigued. And it's true that I'm often juggling parenting needs and exhaustion. What I didn't anticipate is that prioritizing rest, sleep, and dreaming is also something tangible I can offer my child. He sees me napping every day and he wants in. We build elaborate nests and gaze out the window together, luxuriously leaning in huge mounds of pillows. Most three-year-olds I know fight bedtime, but we snuggle under the blankets on cold winter evenings, sighing in synchronized delight. And I have to say that feels pretty incredible to me, at least from the image that he creates. And I don't feel that I have that. Mm. And I think, I'm saying, I think it's like a bit of a weakness. Like I, it sounds beautiful to me, but it's hard for me to imagine doing it. And it made me wonder in revisiting the article when we were preparing for today, like, whoa, is this why my kids had such a hard time napping and sleeping? Because I am like up early, even when I don't have to be. And like, I like to get going. Like I get out of bed and I go make coffee. Like I don't like to linger. And I wonder if it's something about like the lost art of the sacred rest. Yeah. And it's funny because I talk so much in my life as a rabbi, but also as a person about like the value of Shabbat, which I definitely feel. But I don't feel it in this particular way. And I wonder about like, how do we cultivate that? And I think like it's a problem because I don't know even what that would look like exactly for me. But you had practice of it for a whole, let's just say six months or a year. But it didn't feel like that. Like that's not what it felt like. It felt like forced protection. It wasn't, it wasn't a choice. Right, part of what the art, the artful side, yeah. It wasn't like that. And so I I think like there was a difference with COVID because we were doing it not because we were trying to spiritually uplift ourselves to be godly. We were doing it to protect ourselves from a disease. So there was fear and anxiety and like all of that, which was not, it's just not what he's talking about in this piece or what Heschel was talking about. Or um, I don't know if you've read, have you read Judith Shulovitz's book? I think that's how you say her name. No, I'm Um, putting it on my list. The Sabbath world. It's not super new, but like the last, it's been like the last, and it was in the last decade. Maybe it's a little more than a decade now. But this notion of like, what does it mean and and then like recreating it. In other words, like it may not look like what it looked like five years ago. It's sort of I joked about that at the beginning, but like obviously we're in the thick of raising small children. And so we're busy with them on Shabbat. So it's not as if we can create what, exactly what we want. We have kids that have to be managed and taken care of and all of that stuff. But like the notion of thinking that through because... I think you're right. As much as rest should be rest and sacred and protected because it's a value in and of itself, which it definitely is, there is also an element, at least in the traditional model of it, of like preparing yourself for the next stage of your work in the world, which I don't think we can, For at least for me, I don't feel like I can totally separate. I'll tell you what I would want to be more like what you described, which is, which is Sunday for me. Sundays have become a slog. Like, all I do is take kids to things. I don't do anything for myself on Sundays anymore, except for if I can squeeze in a workout. I don't sit at a coffee shop and read a book and like have a great cup of coffee with my wife or go out to lunch with a friend or 
I'm going from like baseball field to basketball field to friend's house to play date at home to park to, and that just doesn't feel like good in any way for me. I know it feels good for them, but it doesn't feel good for me in any way. And I struggle with that a lot because then by by Monday, I'm like burnt out and it's Monday. Yeah. I think it's why we're having this conversation, right? I think we are as a society in this moment and certainly as parents. I mean, I know we have kids that are different ages and we're in different cities and we're different in in what our needs are, right? But there is something sort of that's really amiss, I think, in our culture when it comes to rest, especially when we're parents and what a weekend should look like. And I really don't want my Sundays to become what you just described. And I've sort of been lucky that the kids are young enough that I could sort of curate and not make our Sundays that way, you know? But I know I that time is limited. I think it's probably up, really, for me. And that scares the shit out of me, if I'm being really honest. Because what I've realized is I really need that nothingness, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's different values that I have, which is, well, even if I really, even if me and my family really need a day of nothing, let's just suppose we need that every, every week and Shabbat is the day we do that. But I still have the value of wanting to build Jewish community and still have the value of wanting my children to be in synagogue and sort of like taking that in and being part of that. And when you add those things in that are like important, you kind of lose that day of nothing. So then if you just have two days and then the other day is whatever you said, soccer, theater, birthdays, whatever the things are that we all have to do. Well, that sounds, I have to be honest, not great. (laughs) Really, honestly, really not great. And then I'm like, well, why? And then I go back to, but the whole point of Shabbat is to rest, you know? So it's just kind of this weird cyclical thing that I'm thinking a lot about, actually, because... The week feels packed, Eliana. The week feels packed now. Life feels busy and bustling. And maybe I suppose that's good, maybe, but it feels like so much that the weekend has to feel different, you know, has to feel slower or something. And I don't know the answer, but I do think a lot of people are starting to be a little counterculture on things. And maybe I can be that or maybe not. I don't know. Would you take away your Sunday like what was the word slog? Would you do something different on Sundays if you could? Or could you not because the kids? I mean, I would, but I can't. I mean, I could. I could tell my kids no to all the things they want to do, but that feels pretty, pretty harsh because I say no on things to Shabbat because we don't do sports on Shabbat or, you know, driving play dates or any of those kinds of things. So we're limited on Shabbat. And so that like Sunday is kind of their space to like explore the things that they're interested in. I think this goes back to like, which is not our topic, to a larger conversation. That piece of it, that particular piece about raising your kids in a silo where you're the only people that are doing stuff. You know, you, the parents are the only people that are doing things because I think in like other times you had other help and villages and kids were playing ball locally and could walk places and all of those things. And so I think that's just changed the dynamic completely. Um, I think part of the problem for me is I want to understand in myself the idea that this is for me, like this is all connected to God. And so I want to understand like, what does it look like for me to take the power of what is sacred inside of me as a person and as a creator and like pull back from that to give my body and my brain and my soul a chance to like recharge less about which I know is connected and we both feel that it's connected to doing the work of Monday or Monday through Friday, but more about just like giving my, myself the space to practice that discipline, that spiritual discipline of rest 
in a way that I don't think I do, even though I celebrate Shabbat every week in a traditional way. And like wanting to figure out like, can I do that on Shabbat or do I have to find another space to do that? And I do, I relish Shabbat. Like I don't feel stressed or overwhelmed in the same way. And I come out of Shabbat often feeling, I have a fair amount of anxiety when I leave Shabbat. And I think it's about the fact that like, I don't know how to take those feelings with me. And so while they're like great in the moment, I can't transfer them. And maybe that's the lesson. Like you can't, it's just rest for rest. Like I should just leave it at that. You know, you just made me think maybe it is also just individualized, right? Just like everything, right? Maybe for you, rest looks different than for me. And it looks different than for Stephanie or for Austin or for the kids, right? And so how do we find ways to build that, you know? in a society that's sort of, and Judaism, which is relying on the collective, you know, I don't know. It's kind of interesting, right? If we all have different needs and our needs will shift as you alluded to earlier too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Especially because the notion of Sabbath feels so linked to community, but at the same time, I totally agree with you. Like, what do you do if what your notion of rest is doesn't fit in with the culture, which is what Rabbi Kuklo is talking about. Like Mm -hmm. the culture calls him lazy but he understands what he's doing as sacred because he's protecting his body. And so like, what do you do with that? Like, how do you, how do you conceive of yourself and your experience of rest and all of that kind of stuff? And I think those, those are good questions that I don't have an answer to. Yeah. Should I teach a little something? Please. It fits in well that we're talking about this Tova because of the Torah portions that we're right in the middle of here in the weekly cycle of Torah readings, because we're about to finish in this next two weeks, the book of Leviticus, which ends with the notion of land Sabbath. Look how good we are, Eliana. We're so good. Look how good that is. We we didn't even do that on purpose, (laughs) listeners. Um, And I just love, even though these Torah portions can often feel like a slog for some people, I love them because the land in in the Torah is not static. It's like a dynamic. It's almost corporeal. It's almost human like, like it has qualities, which I love to play with that notion. But specifically in this week's Torah portion, there's this opening line. It says, speak to the Israelite people and say to them, when you enter the land that I assign you, the land shall observe a Sabbath to God. And then it proceeds to describe that the they will they will reap the land six years they're going to sow the field and they're going to have vineyards and all sorts of farming processes and then in the seventh year it says there's going to be a sabbath of of complete rest and you can't do anything to the land itself which is obviously like an incredibly challenging idea if you're trying to build a society and also a beautiful idea if you're thinking of the land as sacred, which is really at the heart of the notion of rest, you know, that there's something sacred happening for either the human or the land in this case. And the Torah is trying to highlight that. Now, most scholars think that this, I don't know how often this actually happened, whether it really happened in real time, not the Shemitah part, not the resting every seven years, but that every 50th year, which is also contained in this week's Torah portion, there would be the cancellation of all debts and he would proclaim freedom in the land from any debt that was remaining that any people had um, in the community. But so the notion is like many circles, like the smallest circle being Shabbat and then the calendar of the holidays and then the Shemitah year, the seven year rest, and then the 50th year, the Yovel year getting bigger and bigger and bigger in length. And all of them were tied to this notion of rest. And many, many commentators, including a commentator called Kliakar, who lived in the 16th century, he talks about the notion of this 
year of rest, promoting a sense of fellowship and peace. He said, when you suspend cultivation for all people, from the wealthiest to the neediest, when you cannot exercise any private ownership over anything that you have produced, you inherently cause people to be more peaceful. Because most dissension, he says, comes from what's mine is mine and what's yours is yours. And when you remove that from the society for one year, you cultivate an inner peace, internal peace, not inner like inside of yourself, but between you and another. And that got me thinking about the notion of the act of rest as a sacred connection to God as a peace promoter. And Rav Cook, who is somebody I think of as like just one of the most incredible thinkers that Judaism has ever had living in the later part of the 19th and early part of the 20th century. He's the first Ashkenazi chief rabbi of the British Mandate of Palestine. He writes about this notion of Shemitah as it's the national, it's the national gift that we have. It's not just about the individual. It's about, he calls it the treasure of the nation. And he says it's it's like the divine purpose for the national soul. And it's the way we connect as a community because it's about the land and all the people in the land. Nobody is free from this law. Everybody has to observe it. Everybody has to stop farming their land and live off of what they have. So everybody becomes equal in a certain way. And he says this promotes this connection to the divine soul that each of us can have. Oh, this is where the breathing was. It, this was in Rav Cook. It wasn't in the articles that I quoted before. Now I'm remembering. He says, life can only be perfected through the affording of breathing space from the bustle of everyday life. The individual shakes himself free from ordinary weekday life at short and regular intervals every Shabbat, every holiday. What the Sabbath achieves regarding the individual, Rav Cook says, the Shemitah achieves regarding the nation as a whole. A year of solemn rest is essential for both the nation and the land. A year of peace and quiet without oppressor and tyrant. A year of equality and rest in which the soul reaches out towards divine justice, towards a God who sustains living creatures with loving kindness. There is no private property, no punctilious privilege, but the peace of God reigns over all in which there is the breath of life. I just, I think it's so beautiful. Yeah. I, I know that it's, we're not there yet as a community, as a nation, as a people, as a religion, as individuals, either the Shabbat part, the breathing space from the bustle of everyday life or the national solemn rest of the nation and the land to promote peace and tranquility and promise and quiet and equality and rest. But that's my hope and prayer that we could use a, a Shemitah year to remind ourselves of that capacity, both as a people and as individuals. Um, and I'm going to think about like more of what he says and how to incorporate that into my own life so that I can start to embrace rest in a different way. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. I love that. Ooh, I want Thank the you. source sheet on that. You're going to have to send it to me. I will send it to you for sure. Ooh. Okay, listeners. Well, it has been lovely as always. We hope that this conversation generates, I don't know, conversations within yourselves for inner peace, inner rest, radical rest. I don't know, sacred rest um, for yourselves as we all navigate the waters that we're living through. And we will have one more episode coming your way very soon. And in the meantime, we are wishing you a couple of weeks filled with courage, hope, and love. Take good care. 